Mike. And I wanted to remind you, in case you hadn't heard me say it before, that if you're on Apple Podcasts and that's how you're hearing us, if you just feel like going there and giving us a review or giving us a few stars, that would be really very much appreciated. Well, more than a few stars. Well, maximum five stars. stars. Yes. Today, I'm going to talk about the series on Amazon Prime called Modern Love, which is an anthology weekly series that's in the New York Times. It's not just about romantic love, it's also about love for parents and their children and vice versa. I've now watched four episodes. I watched the first two episodes and the last two episodes out of eight. The first is about a woman and her platonic relationship with her doorman, who is sort of a Yoda type, and how he has been a guide for her and has helped her navigate both her love life and her life as a mother. Does this show have big name stars yes, in every single episode? Yes, it does. And Tina Fey might be in one. Yes, she I is. saw a billboard for this. And yeah. I wondered how could there be something with this many celebrities? But I guess they spread them out episode by episode. Yes, and they're it's okay. only a half an hour. So okay. each, each team, like Tina Fey is is paired with John Slaughter. Right. It's like the Twilight Zone used to be. Yeah, exactly. Like each week you get a new big star. Exactly. And Anne Hathaway is in Oh, yeah, I saw her so in the else. billboard. Yeah. yeah. The second one that I saw stars Deb Patel and Catherine Keener. Oh, okay. And Andy That's Garcia shows pair. up. It's a wonderful episode because it has to do with lost love okay. and finding love again. And it's just really wonderful. And I, I love me some Deb Patel. Okay. I just think he's a wonderful young actor. And I love Catherine Keener as well. So there's that one. Then the third one that I saw, but the, the second, second to the last, the last. Right. is about a gay couple who is adopting a child from a homeless woman. Oh, wow. And the performance that Olivia Cook gives as the homeless woman is just something to see. Also, Andrew Scott, who was in Fleabag. You haven't oh. seen the episodes he was in, but you will love him. And Which character is he in Fleabag? He's a hot priest. Oh, I haven't He's gotten the there yet. Priest. Oh, yeah. Are you watching it? Yes, I am. Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm loving it. You will get to, when you get to the hot priest, you'll love it even more. The last stars Jane Alexander and James Saito as a couple who find love very late in life. Okay. Senior romance. Yes, it is. But very much the way that the New York Times would do it. All of the episodes, even though some of them I know from reading them, were set in other cities, all of the episodes are set in New York. Mm. And if you're, I don't know what you call it, a New Yorkophile? Yeah. Like I am? Yeah. It's like porn. I mean, yeah. they go every place that you would want to go. Right. All the cafes, all the lobbies of the beautiful Upper West Side apartment right. buildings. And it's very digestible. Right. I recommend it. So they're not sequential either. That's why you could jump around to the second to the last. Yes. Because it's not an exactly. ongoing. Yes. Okay. They do wrap up in the very last one. They wrap up a little with little tags on each of the relationships. Previous. So that's a nice little coda at the end. Well, no, the column is this ongoing, the, the yes, newspaper column? it is. So a woman or a person writes this column. Is it the same person who writes it every no, it's time? Or it's things people send in? Yes, exactly. Oh, how cool. Okay. Yes, and it's wonderful. And so, oh, rarely okay. there will be someone whose name you might know. Right. But for the most part, it's people who are unknown to okay. anyone but their And it's friends. about connection and relationship. It's not exactly. necessarily about relationship with a capital R. Like exactly. A, a it is romantic. about that, but it's about all but kinds of things. But it can be with your doorman it. or your dog walker or exactly. a neighbor. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. And like it. it tends to be about relationships that are problematic. 
I, it's the first thing that I read when I read the paper on Sunday. Okay. So I may not get to anything else, but I but always you'll get read to that. I love. That's how I was with the crossword puzzle when I was a oh. subscriber to the New York Times on Sundays. Oh, that can be and, debilitating. Well, then I never read the paper because I spent the whole <laughs> yes. day trying to do the crossword and failing most of the time. But How do you fake the crossword so cool. puzzle? Fail. I failed. Oh, fail. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's... Well, you can fake difficult. it too, but I failed. <laughs> I had too much integrity to, to fake, fake it. it. Oh. But I wasn't above feeling very uh, sad when I failed. Oh, I'm on the Tuesdays now. I went through all of the oh, Mondays. Oh, okay. You're moving up in the world. I'm moving up. I was very intimidated about doing the Tuesdays, but the Tuesdays are actually good because right. I was already, I went from the 2018, which is when I started, all the way back to 1993, which is how far, how far back the... The Monday puzzles go? All the puzzles Ooh. go back to 1993. So I did all of those. Wow. And now I'm starting in the 2019 Tuesdays. And I figure by the time I die, I'll work up to the Sunday. You're getting there. I think it's interesting, Modern Love, though, that in this time that we're in, a column and a show about making connections with people is something that's resonating with uh, with American people. Yes, and the fact that it's not just romantic love. Mm -hmm. It's about all different kinds of love. Yeah. And I think that we're in a situation where you sort of have to find love where right. you can. And we're, it's so interesting to me. We're in this social media culture now where we have our phones and our phones are sort of our, sometimes, our conduit to the whole outside world and to everyone else that we know. And on one hand, it's great because we have these social media platforms where we're in touch with people. But on the other hand, we're not physically in touch as much no. as maybe we used to be. No. And, and there, I think maybe we're feeling it in a weird way. Oh, I think we're absolutely feeling it. Yeah. I, Even I, texting instead of calling. Yes. You know, it's so convenient and it's so nice in a way. Well, there are times when I was texting with um, my friend and he was, I, we spent so much time texting, we could have had a phone call yeah. that lasted less than 10 that minutes, would would, but we, they were, we were texting over like a half an hour, 45 minutes. Yes, because a lot can be said with vocal intonation, pauses, stuff that doesn't come through in a text, you know, like last week we talked about Maggie Smith in Downton Abbey, or maybe yes. it was the week before, Yes. how she, the way she said, I'm glad. I'm glad. Now, if she had put that as a text... Oh, it would have been a waste. That's so true. You know, that's so true. Passive aggression doesn't <laughs> intense the way it does. Next to self pity, passive aggression <laughs> is my favorite emotion. <laughs> now you saw something the other day. Last night. Last night. I went to the Ford Theater, which is a lovely. Th let's, it's let's a just, fantastic theater with the a... worst parking. At any rate, we went. My friend Sol and I, and I had never heard of this singer from Mexico named Lila. Downs. Uh -huh. If we saw the name, we would say Lila Downs because it's spelled L-I-L-A, but it's pronounced Lila Downs. And it apparently she is a big deal in Mexico and internationally, and she sort of specializes in music of Hispanic cultures. I think she does different concerts that maybe different ones feature different countries, and this one I believe featured the music of Chile. Uh -huh. But we're close to Dia de los Muertos. De los Muertos. And people dressed up, you know, in uh, with the makeup and the costumes and yeah. things. She brings in wherever, whatever city she goes to, she brings in these like community dancing troops. 
So she had like one big troupe of maybe 20 people doing, you know, Spanish folk dancing. And then she had a, yeah. a Mexican female mariachi band. Oh, fantastic. And that apparently is like unheard, unheard of. of. completely. Because it's very sexist culture. And not only the Mexican culture, I'm told, but also the mariachi culture. And so they were all women. There were about 12 or 15 of them. And they were called uh, the Flores Mexicanas. And they had other dance groups. They had like a dancing skeleton for Dia de Muertos that was beckoning you to kind of come along, like she was kind of calling you to go to the other really? side. But she sang with such power. And what I loved about her, it took me a while to get into it because it's not an art form that I'm really yeah. familiar with, yeah. that I've ever been really particularly drawn to. But I went because Sol had told me that this singer meant so much to her personally. And I thought, that's a clue that something's going to be good here. Yeah. And she sang with such power and such mastery and such joy. And she didn't sing like, let's take like Mariah Carey. She's a great singer. And she'll hit those high notes that are like in the stratosphere. Sure. And when she does it, you're thinking, wow, she can really hit high notes. <laughs> but with uh, Leela Downs, her thing, it's not so much going high. It's that sh her shtick, you could call it, in a positive way, though. She'll hit a note and she'll hold it for like ever. Really? And it just goes on and on and on. And it'll go into vibrato for a while. And then it'll go back into flat. And it'll go into vibrato for a while and back into oh. flat. And she just has such control and power of her voice. So that alone was exciting. But the main thing I think that I got from it was that she really wanted to convey the spirit of this music and of this culture. Uh -huh. And she was very mindful to speak in Spanish and English. And I, from my Rosetta Stone Spanish, I was able to pick up a few words. Oh, I'm but, so glad. But she... I'm glad. She, I'm glad. <laughs> I don't know. She took good care of the audience, but it was because she, you could tell that it wasn't about her and her voice. It was about this music right. and her love right. for it. Yeah. And it was very pure and very exciting. I was up in the aisles by the time it was over dancing. And, oh, that's so great. Um, yeah, it was That's really so inspiring. I grew up with that music. My father was oh, really? a real Mexophile. Really? Oh, completely. We lived in Mexico, in right. Monterey, right. when I was very, very small. Yeah. Like, from the time I was six months old until I really? was probably two or three. Wow. Yeah. He had some sort of a commission down there okay. for doing electricity, installing okay. electricity in the town or the city. Right. And because... I grew up with it. It doesn't have an appeal to me the way. Right. I mean, hearing you talk about it makes me really want to hear it again. No, but same here. I grew up growing up in LA. There was a lot of Mexican culture around. But what's different now than then was I don't think that the Latino culture in California when we were kids had the sense of pride oh, that, that they not. have been able to yes. find in themselves now, yes. and that makes all the difference. Yes. And what, so that was the other fun thing about being a boomer, you know, and having uh, survived and lived in the 60s and 70s. And then now to go to the Ford Theater and have this artist Who's celebrating it, celebrating it yeah. exactly and appreciating yeah. it and showing the value of it and helping people feel the value of their own right. culture and art forms right. and stuff. Well, not to be reductive, but I really felt that when we went to see Coco. Yeah, that was, this was a lot like Coco. That's so interesting because I wouldn't have guessed that the Chilean and Mexican music would be that closely aligned. I think there, I think there are overlaps. And apparently, Saul was explaining a lot of the songs were cumbia, which is a dance form okay. in Latin America. And I'm told, this stuff that's all new to me, but there are variations on cumbia 
from country to country and culture to culture. That makes sense. But it was just so much fun to just surrender yourself to this ebullient, exciting, upbeat music. Well, and then some were very sad songs too. And gosh, she was singing one song, they're all in Spanish. And, and Sol leans over to me and goes, this is a really codependent song. <laughs> she's talking about how her life has ended because her man has walked out of her life. Oh. <laughs> you know? oh. But she sang it with full <laughs> commitment. And it's, you know, I guess you could say that's the tradition too. Well, it's yeah. also a very sexist culture. Well, that's true. That's true. And maybe there's a way to own that, bring awareness about it, and not have to throw the music out, yes. but to maybe hold it in a different way. Yes, I think know? that's right. Yeah. We see it in a different light. Right. And it was a thrill. It was really great. Well, that's great. Yeah. I got out of my boundaries. They shouldn't do a single Sondheim song the whole night. I was saying, No. I'm still here. Sing, I'm still here. <laughs> she wouldn't. She wouldn't sing The Ladies Who Lunch? No. We have to branch out on Boomerangs. We do. We'll have musical numbers. Yes, we, we do. We I'm have, ready. We have dance numbers. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> now, we said that we were going to touch on Mick Mulvaney and his, oh. his moment in the spotlight. Yeah. Well, he had one. I'm shocked in a positive way. I'm shocked that people were as shocked as they were. Isn't that great? Yeah. Yeah. Things that, like the Doral. Let's just talk about the, the G7. The golf course. And, the golf yes, place. Yes. That was what his big announcement was supposed to be. Mulvaney's. Was, oh, yeah. That was, he came out to make the announcement because I guess Trump didn't want to right. that the G7 would be meeting at the Doral in Miami. Oh, okay. And that he was just going to put that out there and say basically the same thing that he said about the quid pro quo, which mm -hmm. is get over it. Right. And he got caught up in the conversation and right. the idea that we we all do it. Everybody does it. Right. There's always a quid pro quo There's out there. There's always political considerations in foreign policy. That's always the way it is. Yeah. And actually, for a moment, I wondered, is that true? That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm shocked. People are shocked. I'm happily shocked that people are shocked. <laughs> because it would be so easy to go, okay, on to the next little outrage. Mm -hmm. And this has legs. Yes. Teeth. Yes. All kinds of body parts. Yes. I mean, the good news out of this and the, the surprising news is that the G7 arrangement is no longer going to happen. Right. He withdrew the offer. He withdrew the offer. <laughs> Was it <laughs> an offer? A generous offer. Yes. Yeah. At, that they do it at cost. Yes, at cost. Yeah. True. I mean, his behavior is really, we've said this for so yes. long that it was off the rails, but... He is the Chernobyl of presidents. <laughs> <laughs> Toxic is. and melting down and getting down to a deep yes. earth level that's going to kill everybody. He's at 11. Yeah. I remember that we had this conversation right after he was elected, that we had to contact Dianne Feinstein and tell her that we didn't feel he was psychologically or emotionally fit to be president. Yeah. And that was with the evidence that we had at the time. Right. Who knew yeah. that this was going to snowball. Yeah. It, I find it so gratifying that he's being hoisted up by his own guitar. Yeah. I just want it to be complete and full and... I think it's getting there. I put my faith in Nancy. As long as she's chugging along, I feel things are going to be okay. Nancy, who just went to Jordan. Surprise visit to Jordan. Yes. Yeah. I just love that she went there and didn't clear it through the White House. And, Apparently not. And I guess they probably learned about it very shortly we before we did. I think so. Yeah. I think so. She doesn't give a shit about him anymore. No. I think she tried to humor him or tried to uh, up until this last sort of blowout. That last her. meeting where yeah. she told him he all 
roads lead to Putin. I couldn't agree more. I could not either. Yeah. But what do you think she can accomplish there? I don't know. Maybe some kind of damage control with our relationships with the allies we do have there and with some salvaging of some kind of plan to, well, plan, yeah, and plan to contain ISIS, which seemed to be working from what you can hear and now is fallen apart. Very so nice I imagine story. she was doing damage control because he's incompetent. Good old Nancy. She's great. God love her. Everyone got so mad at her. You know, Stephanie Miller and the whole bunch because she wouldn't go she fast wouldn't enough that button. to the to the eye. She wouldn't push the eye button. Yeah. Yeah. But she was just getting and her she did. lining up her ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, President Pelosi sounds awful. And right on the heels of, I think Pence went over there and gave away the whole store to, to Erdogan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why I do, I do feel uh, hopeful that things are going to shift because I think even the Trump supporters, what they like about him is this idea that he's brash, pugnacious, a disturber, a truth teller, and, tr- and tough. And he looks rightfully so weak, so very sniveling. Sniveling com- is a great word. Along with his attitude towards Putin and towards Erdogan and towards any dictator. Yes. He's a kiss ass and he's a pushover and he has no balls. You know, he just gives away the store. In a moment's he notice. He has no ability to negotiate whatsoever. Yeah. He, I do think, too... He did that with right. North Korea. I do think, too, we're going to find later that a lot of this is not driven by his cravenness, but driven by something that Putin has on him. And so he is cooperating with Putin's... Can I just say, I heard early on that money laundering was the big thing that was going to bring him down. Mm-hmm. And that the kids were involved with that as well. Right. Heavily involved. And other than that, I mean... Could that be enough? Could money laundering for Putin, which is what those two, what Stephanie Miller calls Mm -hmm. the two wild and crazy guys. Oh, yeah. That's what they were doing. Right. They were heavily involved in laundering money to funnel it to Trump and Pete Sessions and probably right. other Republican candidates right. as well. I think it has to be more vivid and blunt than that. I think like what? Like bribery. Like telling the president of a country that you'll give him some foreign aid if he'll do you a political favor. But we already have that. So yeah, what, but that's what's going to do it. Right. But what would Putin have on him? This is what I oh. can't figure out is what could Putin have on him? He might have information on him about business dealings. He might have personal embarrassing information on him. Okay. He might know criminal stuff in Trump's past that if it were to come to light could put Trump okay. physically in danger. You know, okay. it could be a mob thing. He could have any kind of dirt on him and he could easily say, we'll keep this quiet, but you have to get your troops out of Syria today. So Trump does it. And then all the news people here go, oh, Trump's so weird. Why is he so strange about Syria? Well, I think it's going to come out eventually that it's very simple why he's making these weird yeah. things. It's at the behest of Putin. But Erdogan too, I think, might have some kind of information that helped him What I uh, heard about Erdogan is that they have information on the murder of Khashoggi by Saudi Arabia. Right. And that they may have tapes or they may have something incriminating on... That they might have something incriminating on Jared Kushner and his relationship and his knowledge of the murder of Khashoggi. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Something like that. Yeah, I don't know what it could be. But, I mean, we, we scratch our heads going, why would Trump do this or why would Trump do that? And I think eventually we're going to see that the reasons were super simple. Yeah. And they were because he was ordered to. Yeah. Because he's, he's not smart enough to even make bad decisions. You know? No, that's very true. I don't think. No, he's not. He doesn't see things in the long game. This is why I think that he does have cognitive damage. Because he only sees things in the moment. He yeah. seems to live in the moment. Yeah. 
He does not have any range as far as his actions are concerned. Yeah. And he doesn't have any ability to see the potential implication of his actions. Mm -hmm. And then he's addicted to... I'm just going to tear him down tonight because I've been waiting. <laughs> he, I think he's addicted to these mega rallies. Yes, because oh, completely. For, he doesn't drink, right? An alcoholic, after they'd suffered a terrible embarrassment, which he seems to suffer like daily now, would go drink into oblivion so that they could yes. kill the feeling of shame yes i think he doesn't do it that way he goes and he'll have a rally because it for him it obliterates the feeling that he fucked up you know suddenly he's the hero not, yes those suddenly people are he's not the hero him. right they're not going to question and so him. every time he does something more egregious then he goes out to some midwestern or southern state and, and throws a rally and i'm sure it's like the people working for him must be going crazy because it's like oh we have to cart ourselves all the way out to god knows where to put on a rally because he's uncomfortable Oh, I think that they're grateful. I don't think that they're going crazy. Oh, because it takes the spotlight off for a little bit? Yes. Yeah. They, they finally have a reprieve from crazy trouble. Till the mean, next one the next day. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he hasn't been having them every day, though. He's been having them every few days. But I imagine that the more trouble he's in, the more the rallies, rallies he'll, ha he'll have. Yes. That's right. The rallies are every few days, but the outrages are like coming, oh, as yes. Mark Shields said this week on PBS. They're coming on an almost hourly basis. You know, it's not even daily anymore. I, although, you know, it's hard to remember back and think, oh, was that happening only daily? No, it, it was on an hourly basis. I mean, it's, yeah. the, it's just that the tide has shifted. Right. And we see these things in a different light than we used to. Maybe. We used to look at them as just a pylon that no one was, well, you said it yourself, like Cassandra. We were crying right. out and in the night right. that, that the sky was falling. Right, but no one would hear us. Yes, but now people are actually paying attention. I think so, and I, I yes. maybe people too, people who don't follow politics and don't read the paper and you know have are busy just getting the food on their tables and things, uh, and their kids to school, all of that. Aren't people gonna grow weary of this at some point to the point that they'll say, get the guy out? I'm I think just that tired of I this. think that that is what's happening. Yeah. That there's just a... A saturation level yes. that, we've re that we're reaching. Yes. Um, John Dickerson on the political podcast on Slate said the very same thing. I thought yeah. I had mentioned it once, but it's worth mentioning again. Right. That having this constant onslaught of, of chaos mm -hmm. and it, this vituperative language yeah. and castigating everybody in his path. Right. That even people who are, I mean, certainly not his base, we already know that nothing mm -hmm. will dissuade them. But people who are just average citizens will get too much drama. Up. Yeah, enough already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's just yeah. too much. And the, the actual content <laughs> almost won't matter anymore. Like you and I are looking for that's right the event that's going to be the clincher. That's right. But it's, maybe it's just going to be the volume of stuff that finally adds up. Well, that's the that's my glacier theory that something did loosen and the yes. glacier now is starting to move down. Well, you just have to remember that when you get to school. Yes, I'll remember my glacier. <laughs> Because I think it, it is happening. Don't go and to we're... Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't go there. All the glaciers there are melting. Oh, I know. It's, All the glaciers everywhere yeah, are melting. It's a terrible situation. Well, I think that's going to do it for us for right now. Is that do it? We, I think so. Did we cover all our bases? We did. I think we did. I think we went through the list. Yay! Okay. Well, thank you again, Boomers, for following us on oh, our journey here. Thanks for listening to my rant. Yes. Oh. <laughs> we'll have more rants in the future, I'm sure. Yeah. Anyway, thanks again, and we will be talking to you in a week. So long, all. Bye. Bye-bye. Ah!